kingdom is by getting to know the king. Amen? The king is Jesus, and uh, this is the, uh, the essence of our salvation, that we get to know Jesus. There is no one more glorious in all of the universe. He created everything that exists, um, even to be given like a star, just one star, you know, that several earths could fit into, burning in holiness and brightness and Man, how cool would that be? We are called into relationship with the one who created all the stars, placed them all in the heavens, and called each one by name. And Jesus is our king. He is Lord. And if you don't know him as your savior, I want to tell you this is good news. You can. You can know him. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And if you would just put yourself in that category this morning and say, I'm lost. Well, I got good news for you. Jesus came to find you. He wants to bring you into his kingdom. It's an amazing thing. Let's pray. Father, thanks for being good to us. This morning, we, we do, we so love you. And as we just sang, to know you, and then to know you more. There might be some here this morning that don't know you. I pray that they'd come to know you. And for those of us, Lord, that know you, we want to know you more. It's so true. So God, thanks for today. Thank you that we get to open your word. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in your word and by your spirit. So please help us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you got your Bibles, grab them. Uh, go to 1 Thessalonians, the very end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we are glad that you're here, and we're glad that you're here because we do believe it's all about worshiping Jesus, and we believe that it's more fun to do that with more people. Amen? And so the more the merrier. Um, <clears throat> as a church, what we've been doing for the last couple years is we've just been on a, a church-wide Bible reading plan. Uh, the first year we read a chapter, one chapter a day, five days a week through the entire New Testament in a year. Then last year we did like a mix of some Old and New Testament. This year we're doing the same, uh, the same thing. We took a little break over the summer doing our doctrinal series. Now we're back in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, next we'll be doing the book of 2 Thessalonians. It comes right after 1 Thessalonians. Um, Sorry, Chris, Christian jokes, I know, funny. Um, but uh, this is where we're at this morning. We believe that we are called into relationship with Jesus, but as disciples. Um, a disciple simply means learner. And so one of the things that we're constantly trying to learn is his word. That's it. We're just trying to walk in his word by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And so uh, we need to be in the word more than just on Sunday mornings. Um, Preaching is, is an important part of what the church does and experiences that we sit under the authority of the word, not of a man, except Jesus, the authority of Jesus, but under the authority of the word of God, and we allow it to press on our hearts, and so um, I would encourage you, uh, if you've been coming to Mercy Hill for any uh, period of time and you haven't started in the Bible reading plan, uh, get in it, and just know that everybody else here at Mercy Hill is reading that throughout the week as well, too. But today, we're going to be in First Thessalonians. Uh, I want to pick up this prayer that Paul prays at the very end of chapter 3, and then I'm going to read the first several verses of chapter 4, and that's where we will 
we will be today. First of all, starting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 11, it says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and, make, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Holiness is a key word that we're going to look at this morning. Before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And that word sanctification, we'll talk more about this, it's the same word for holiness that I just read back in verse 13. This is the will of God, your sanctification or your holiness. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let's pray one more time. Father, thanks for today. Please open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your word. Amen. Uh, as I kind of already tipped my hand a little bit there, um, as I was introducing the text and in the midst of the text, uh, the, the big idea that we find in this text this morning that Paul was going to press on us is this idea of holiness. Holiness. And I don't know about you, but I, I would, I, I've had a complicated relationship over the years in my walk with Christ, a complicated relationship with the idea of holiness. It's been, it's been a bit of a conundrum to me. Um, it, it's, on the one hand, we know that God is holy and we know that we're sinful. And he's holy, he's not just like a little bit holy. Um, all the angels around his throne, like even right now in heaven, I believe the Bible teaches that what's going on is there's these glorious beings around his throne and day and night they do not cease to cry out and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Um, there, there is a holiness that uh, describes God that is one of a kind. To, to be holy, holiness, it, it, in its most basic terms, it just means to be set apart. Or to say it a, a, another way, it means to be not common or uncommon. So maybe this morning you guys put on your church clothes. You guys have your church clothes that you wear? church clothes, not just your, your common clothes, but it's your, it's your church clothes, you know, a little bit, little bit nicer. Um, those would be your, kind of your holy clothes, just in, in the sense of they're just set apart. They're for, they're for looking nice, coming to church, maybe going out, doing something special. Is that God is holy, he is set apart by his glory, by just the very nature of who he is. But we are also called to be holy, and again, for me over the years, that's been kind of a, a, a conundrum. Um, 
if I had to describe what, it, what, it, what it's like, the, the command in Scripture, as we saw this morning, and you see this all throughout the Bible, is that the, the Bible commands us to be holy. Right? It commands us to be holy. And Paul's going, Paul is exhorting the Thessalonian church in that. He's, we're being exhorted through this morning, through this passage that we're looking at. We're to be holy. But, but what it feels like, if I could use this as an illustration, it feels like being commanded to play the piano. But yet, you don't really know how. <laughs> Does that make sense? So over the years, I felt like, Eric, be holy. And I'm like, okay, God is holy. I, I need to be holy. And for years, I just felt like, okay, I gotta be holy. And I've, I've heard people play the piano that are good at it. And you know, maybe you've heard Mozart or Beethoven or, or maybe even not somebody that great, but you've heard people just make beautiful noise on the piano. And you hear the command, you're like, play, play the piano. Okay, and you try your best at... Yeah. I'm not going to get an amen on that. Come on. And that's just what, be holy. Uh, okay. And you're, you're trying. You, you want to. Um, but it just doesn't go that well. Are, are you with me? Does anybody else feel what, what, what I'm saying? And, and Paul does something in this text that's, that's very, very helpful. And for the, as we've been um, walking through the book of Thessalonians, we've noted that these were some very young Christians. They were, they were probably only a, a couple weeks in the Lord before, meaning they got saved and then Paul gets thrown out of town because of persecution. And so he's writing this letter back to these young Christians and they're, they're doing well. They're like, their faith is standing even in the midst of difficulty. Um, but Paul is just giving them some really practical instructions on how to live the Christian life, on how to be disciples. And if I could explain it literally, so I, I have tried to play the piano and, or, or the keyboard, and one day I literally was playing it, and it wasn't, it, like it wasn't that bad, but it, but it was bad. And this guy that knew how to play the piano, he goes, you know you're doing that the hard way. And I go, really? really? Like, how do you do it? And he, and he taught me, and again, for those of you who know how to play piano, I don't really know how to play piano. I just know how to chord and put my fingers at certain places. He's like, yeah, you just put your fingers here and here, and then just keep your one hand there. You don't have to move it around that much. And just all you got to do is move this one hand a little bit. I was like, really? And he, and he taught me just to, just to do this simple little thing of just, um, hopefully I don't mess it up here, but just like... That's about all I know. Now, I'm no Mozart, <laughs> okay? I'm no Beethoven. But what he did is he just gave me some really practical handles on, and I don't understand music theory. I'm not even exactly sure what chords those were, but I know where to put my fingers. And I just kind of move them real simple. And at least it, it sounds halfway decent. And sometimes when I'm by myself, I go at the hub, we have a keyboard up there at our little office, and I'll go out there, and it allows me just to worship. And if you'll just hang with me through this analogy, and we'll, we'll get into the text here, or this kind of extended metaphor, is what Paul's going to do this morning in regards to the idea of holiness is just give us some really practical handles. He's going to say, just put your hand here. Just put your hand here. 
just focus on this. And in doing this, I don't know if you caught this in, in verse one of chapter four, but this is how we walk so as to please God. Okay? Not earning our salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul has said that earlier on in this letter. He said, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. He, says, he said earlier in the book that he thanks God that when they heard the word, that they didn't receive it just, not just as the word of men, but as it actually is, they received it as the word of God. It's only by faith that we're saved. But yet we're called into this life of discipleship and practical holiness in trying to live a life that sounds beautiful and is worshipful to Jesus and brings him honor and glory. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? So I just, I find this very helpful. Paul's giving us some very practical instructions on how to live a life that is pleasing to God. So first of all, a life and living a life that is pleasing to God and an understanding this idea of holiness. Here's what we have to understand is that holiness starts in the heart and it's sparked by prayer. It starts in the heart and it's sparked by prayer. Look at the end of chapter three. Again, verses 11 through 13. Paul's telling them this prayer. He's, he's praying this, but he's also telling it to them. So again, in what he, why, why does he do that? Why does he just pray it? But he lets them know what he's praying. Why does he do that? Because he's painting a vision for them. He's teaching them how to pray. He's discipling them. Um, and he says in verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So his first request, and as we've been going through the Thessalonians, we've talked about this, Satan is hindering them from getting back to them. Paul wants to love on them in person, but he can't get there. And so he's praying that God would direct their way to them, verse 12. And now may the Lord, he, and here's the first part of this request that aims at holiness in the heart. He says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love uh, for one another and for all just as we do for you, so that, so there's a purpose. So his prayer is that their love, something would happen in their heart, that their love, and they were already loving each other and they were loving God, but he, he says, I want that love to increase, I want it to abound. And then he says, as that happens, it's going to establish their hearts blameless in, and here's our word, in holiness, in holiness before their God. Now here's the big thing that I want you to see in this, is that most of us in our pursuit of holiness and, and, and feeling like all we can do is just make noise that doesn't sound that good, the reason our pursuit of holiness fails is because we start with us and we start with the outward and we start with what we can do. But what Paul is directing them to do here is that in this pursuit of practical holiness, of a life that practically pleases God, we need to start not with ourselves, but with God. You understand, it's a prayer. Paul's not, he's going to command this, okay? He's going to give them some commands to be holy, all right? But he doesn't start there. He starts with the condition of their heart and bringing their heart before God. And this is where our pursuit of holiness often fails is because we focus on the outward, not on the heart, and we focus on our own efforts rather than focusing on prayer. That I can't live a holy life. This is the paradox of the Christian life, that in our weakness, he is made strong. That we're called to do certain things and yet we know that we can't do them and so we do them by faith. And faith is not some, this, this great thing that some people talk about faith, like I've got this great faith and I just commanded this mountain to move. That's not what faith is. Faith is a little child that can't do anything, looking away from themselves because they know they can't provide for themselves and it is looking towards God and towards what he can do. 
And so this is where the life of holiness uh, needs to start, is that we start in prayer, looking away from God, and, or, or I'm sorry, away from ourselves and towards God, and he's praying that this love in our hearts would increase and abound. And, and Paul, in the, in the original Greek language here, he, he's almost like making up words, the word for increase. It's almost like in our English vernacular, what we would kind of say is, he, uh, he, Paul's saying, I pray that you would super duper increase in love. It's like this, this word that's, and then the, another word that's even stronger, and then it has this prefix added to it. It said, I want you to super duper increase in love. And this word for abound, it's, it's the idea of a flower moving from an initial blood into full bloom. Is that yes, there, there was love there. Love had happened in their hearts because they'd been saved by God's grace. But now he's praying that this love would come uh, into full bloom. And then Again, he prays that this would happen, that this love, this agape love, and that's the word here for love in the Greek, is agape, is that it would increase and abound in their hearts in this way. And he says that it's going to establish their hearts blameless in holiness. This idea of, what, what does he mean here? Verse 13. So that your hearts may be established blameless in holiness. Blameless does not mean, does not mean sinless perfection. But here's what it means. It's the idea of being confident that there's a confidence that comes from the fact that God has done something in our hearts. That when somebody accuses us of something and, and, and we're blameless, that we have confidence to stand. Now hear me, hear me here. This is super important. That it is the gospel that establishes us in the righteousness of Christ. But even here, Paul is praying for Christians and he's still praying that God would do something in their hearts that would help them to have confidence that when Christ returns, which is, which is why he prays, he says, I pray that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. He's praying that this love would pour out of them, that they would be confident at the Lord's return because they would be busy loving. But here, here's really the million dollar question that I want to ask you this morning is as you think about what holiness is, or just about what your definition of holiness is, and I'm not saying we can all just, you know, just have whatever definition we want, but I'm saying the definition that you've carried into this room this morning of what holiness is, here's what I want to ask you. At the center of that definition of what holiness is, is love at the center? Is love at the center of your definition of holiness? Or is it just, and this is that little cliche, you know, for those of you that call Mercy Home, I always throw around. So many of us have this definition of holiness that all it is is don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with girls that do. It's just on the outward. But notice the link. Paul's praying that your love would increase and abound, and that your heart would be established in holiness. Here's my point. Is that if love is not at the center of your definition of holiness, you are going to drift towards legalism. See, many of us, if we have our own little definition of holiness that we've made up, and love isn't really a part of it, or maybe at best it's just kind of a peripheral part of it, a secondary part of it, and holiness is just about all, like the way that we dress, the way that we act, that we don't drink, smoke, chew, run with girls that do. As long as we can be disciplined and try some of those things, then in our minds we're holy. But what Paul is giving us here is a different definition of holiness. And, and hear me, we're going to get to some moral purity part. I mean, Paul, Paul hits that right on the head. And we'll get to it here in a second. 
But initially here, what I want you to understand is that holiness, uh, at the center of our definition of holiness, has to be this idea of loving other people well. And while we might be good at not doing certain things, sometimes what we lack is actually loving people well. And Paul calls us to love each other in a way that is increasing and abounding in love for one another. And this is something that the Lord wants to work in our hearts. Again, don't miss the fact that in the context, this is a prayer. He is asking God to do this. And I wonder, like, how often in your prayers are you focused on the outward and not on the inward? See, when Paul, if, you, if you want to do an interesting study sometime, <coughs> um, and you can just Google it, you know, or, or, or whatever, um, but look up the prayers of Paul in the New Testament. It'll completely change the way you pray. Paul does ask for outward things sometimes, but not that often. Usually what Paul is praying for is the condition of people's hearts, as he is for the Thessalonian church here. And I think that the reason many of us think of holiness as a burden and not as something beautiful is because, again, we, we've, we've been told that we have to do it, but then we just run to the outward, which is all, which is all that we, we can control. Um, but it starts inwardly. And this idea of holiness throughout the scripture, the church is called the bride of Christ, and holiness is pictured um, as a beautiful wedding dress that we put on, that we make ourselves ready for the groom that's going to come get us someday and experience the fullness of our salvation with him in glory. And I think I said this to you guys a while back, but you know, in all the weddings that I've done, I've never seen one bride complain about having to go get the dress. They just don't. They enjoy it. They like it. They talk to their friends about it. Um, and again, I, I can't stress enough, this is not works-based righteousness. We are not making ourselves pra in practical ways. We are not seeking to live a life that pleases the Lord to make ourselves beautiful, to make him love us. But because he's given us a promise, I do love you, and I'm coming to get you. Be ready. Do you see the difference? That the hope of Christ's return, of coming to get us, makes all the difference in the world. I think this is the same thing that you find in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. They said, teach us to pray. He goes, when you pray, pray like this. What's the first request? He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And hallowed is just a different form of the word for holy. The first request, it's not just a statement. For years I thought that that was a statement. It's not a statement, it's a request. Saying, Father, in my life, in the life of this church, of our community or whatever, this is how we pray. Lord, make your name be seen as holy. That's what that means, hallowed. Lord, you're asking God to do something. Lord, hallow your name. Make your name be holy in my life. And so again, this pursuit of holiness, it starts in looking away from ourselves. Again, even Jesus taught this, in looking towards God, who is our Father and yet is in heaven and is holy, but let his name be seen as holy in our lives. Um, while the pursuit of holiness 
is impossible on our own, it is inevitable as we depend on Christ. Is that, here's what I want you to get this morning, is that Paul is praying this. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't pray prayers just to sound good. He prays prayers because he's confident that God will answer them. And again, the blessing of having some of Paul's prayers recorded in the scriptures is that we, like the Bible says clearly, that when we ask anything according to God's will, we know that we can have it. Is that this is part of the inspired word of God. Is that as we, as we pray this, we should believe that God will do something in our hearts, make our love increase and abound and overflow that our hearts would be holy and beautiful before him uh, in love. That is Paul teaching us practically. One of the first things, this is where holiness starts. This is where you put your hand. This is how you make beautiful music with your life. Look away from yourself and look towards Jesus to do something in your heart. Not just once, not just twice, but every single day. Look away from yourself and towards Christ. And so then Paul moves from this prayer, but this idea of holiness is, again, still in this passage. That's why, again, the the chapter divisions aren't a part of the original inspired text, and there's a little bit of a transition here into some more practical matters, and yet the sections are linked together by this idea of holiness that he he gives us here. And so he continues on in the beginning of chapter 4, and he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us, you ought to walk and to please God just as you were doing. So they were already doing this, but Paul says this over and over throughout the letter. He's like, I want you to abound in it. I want you to super duper increase in it. I want you to come into full bloom in this. To walk in a way to please God just as you were doing and that you do so more and more. Verse two, for you know what instructions we gave you through our Lord Jesus. And so he's recalling the time that he was with them at first and Paul, is, it's kind of like a funnel here is that Paul's going to start very, very broad with how to walk in a way to please God, how to live a life of practical holiness, okay? He's already started with that. First of all, you, you, you gotta pray for your own heart, okay? It starts with looking away from yourself and towards God, but now he's, and he's gonna narrow down this funnel and it gets real specific real quick. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. In the, in, in the Greek, it's the exact same word as the word for holiness that's used throughout. Uh, the, some of the English translators just use a different word here. But your sanctification or your holiness. Sanctification means the same thing, just to be set apart. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So, let love abound. Walk in a way to please God. This is God's will for your life, that you walk in a way that pleases him. What does that look like? It looks like holiness. It looks like sanctification. Well, what does that look like? That you abstain from sexual immorality. And right now, maybe we should just cut the tension in the air with a knife because you're like, Eric, it's baptism Sunday. I brought a friend, you know. We're going to talk about sex? Yes. Because the Word of God talks about it. And if I could, just for a second, I don't think that there's anything more important that maybe we could talk about this morning. I would be willing to bet that pretty much everybody in this room thought about sex this past week. And I would also be willing to bet that more than likely you thought about it in an unbiblical way. Because we are bombarded everywhere 
with this message. It's on billboards, magazines, the phone, TV. We are bombarded over and over again with what the world teaches us, how the world wants to disciple us in regards to our sexuality. But God's word has something to say about it. And of all the things that Paul could have listed, and hear me, there are other places in the scriptures where it talks about how to handle money. It talks about the words that come out of your mouth. It talks about the way that we need to serve other people. Um, it talks about the, the, um, what go, what's going on in our mind. But here, again, for these young Christians, one of the big things that Paul wants to make sure that they understand, again, giving them very practical handles, teaching them how to play the keyboard, how to make beautiful noise. He's like, you have to get this piece right. This is God's will for your life, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I'd also like to, you know, not only say that I think all of us have probably thought about sex in some way, shape, or form in the past week, but I'd also like to say this, just to set the record straight, there's not a one of us that isn't sexually broken, folks. Not one of us. Because to varying degrees, and the specifics will look different, but each one of us, in varying ways, because we're sinners, we have believed the lies of the world about what they tell us about sex. And so we, we think about it wrongly. And it is a huge piece to our practical holiness. And I'm telling you that right now, while you're like, are we seriously going to talk about this? Yes, we are. But I'm telling you, there is such good news in here. There's such good news in here. Because if you've experienced any level or any degree of pain that comes from sexual immorality in your own life or maybe in the life of somebody else that you love or that you know, you know that sexual unholiness as opposed to holiness, what Paul's going to talk about here, but sexual unholiness, it does exactly that. It causes great pain. And so God is good and he's loving. He is a kind, gracious, caring, heavenly father that is working for our joy in very, very, very practical ways. Amen? It's really good. So again, we've, this is all framed in please God Please God by walking in his will. What's his will? Holiness is holiness. Here's one big, very practical piece. Sexual immorality. He says that each one of you, verse 4, know how to control his body in holiness and in honor. So this is what he calls us to. Holiness and honor. Not in, so there's the positive, here's the negative. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So if we know God, and how do we know God? Through the gospel, by grace, through faith. If we know God, then our sexual ethic should look, look differently than that of the world, which is why we don't want to buy what the world sells us about this. Um, and he goes on here, and he says, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter is that I think 
one of the one of the thing one of the lies one of the lies that we believe about sexual immorality sometimes, especially in regards to um, the specific sin of pornography, which is rampant in our culture. Um, and by the way, the word for uh, sexual immorality here, it's in the Greek, the, it's the Greek word pornea, which is where we get the word pornography, but it, they're using it, it's a broad overarching term for every type of sexual immorality that you could imagine. But that's where we get, get the word from. But especially in regards to the sin of pornography, of just looking on another man or another woman in a lustful way, is that we think that this is a victimless crime. We think that it doesn't affect any, anybody else. But Paul says here, again, different than what the world would say, verse 6, he says that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter. Is that when we engage in sexual morality of any kind, it is wronging another human being. The person that you might be looking at is somebody's daughter, somebody's son, somebody's brother, somebody's sister. Might be somebody's wife or husband. But not just that, but sex is a good gift from God that has been given to us within a, to enjoy within a very specific context. One man, one woman, in the bonds of covenant, in the, in the bonds of the covenant of marriage. That's it. That's why he's, that's why he's given it to us. He's given it to us uh, to be enjoyed. Um, but the world wants to tell us that this can happen anywhere. The word of God says very plainly here, no, that's not, that's absolutely not the case. Um, when we engage in it too, here's something that's happening that you might not be aware of. And it's, a, and it's in the last, again, we don't need science for this. However, it's interesting that science always eventually kind of catches up with the Bible, what the Bible is true. But there's been a ton of work and literature writing done in the last two decades on what happens to our brains when we engage in sexual immorality or sexual activity. And when we engage in outside the bonds of marriage, what it does is there's these chemicals, dopamine specifically, that is released in the brain that it, it creates this addiction to it. And again, we're supposed to be addicted to each other in the bonds of marriage, that's it. No other context at all. Um, but what happens is, is when we engage in sexual immorality, one of the things that's happening to us is that we are whether we realize it or not, we are becoming extremely selfish people. We are becoming addicted to self as we do it. And that's why um, Paul says here that this is, this is never a victimless crime, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter. And then, and again, folks, the word of God is the word of God. Here at Mercy Hill, we are going to do our best best until he comes back to preach it like it is. And yes, we want to understand it within its context and, and all that that's important. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. But look at the next line in verse 6. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. And, and it, you're like, what does that mean? Well, if you're not scared by it, you're not understanding it. It's supposed to make you go. This idea of God being an avenger is that he will act. He will act. 
to bring about righteousness and justice because while he is loving, while he is a father, while he is good, he's so good that he sent his son to die in our place. He will by no means uh, let the guilty unpunished. And here's, here's how this, in, again, in, in Exodus chapter 34, this is one of the ways that God first reveals himself to his people as they come out of Egypt. And here's how he describes himself. He gives them his personal name, Yahweh. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children's children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped, which is exactly what we should do in regards to this text. Is that when we hear solemn warnings like this that say the Lord is an avenger and all these things as we told you beforehand, and Paul says, and solemnly warned you, we should bow our heads in worship. See, it's God's world, so it's God's rules. Did you know that? Well, that's not what I believe. It doesn't matter. You will not stop the Lord from being an avenger when he chooses to do so. Good luck with that. Um, now, it's, it's very solemn. Uh, it would be wrong to preach this text uh, with a mood or attitude of flippancy. I can't do that. Like, this isn't, this isn't the right time for a joke. Okay. Although that was kind of a joke. Anyway, it, it's very solemn. Uh, and we should feel that. Um, but I'm telling you, there's such good news here. Because, again, it's all framed in God being very, very clear in how to walk this out. Like, like have you guys ever had, again, um, to, I'll move away from the, the keyboard or piano analogy, but have you ever gotten a new job and you were told what to do, but you weren't told how to do it? So they put you in there, I, I want you to do that, I want you to build widgets. Get this amount of widgets done. You need your, 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 meet your quota of widgets by the end of the week. Get it done. And they're hammering. And, you know, yes, you, you have the what, you might even have the why. Because these widgets help change people's lives. These widgets are really, really good. And there's a big need for widgets. And so make your widgets. You have the what, you have the why, but you haven't been given the how. That can be so frustrating to be told what you must do and even why you must do it, but to not be shown how. God is not leaving us without a how, folks. In regards to a life that pleases him, he's giving us the how. He's saying, start with prayer. Bring your heart to God. Look away from yourself. Bring it to me. Ask that I would do something in your heart. Every day, check, got it. Secondly, stay away from sexual immorality. Don't do it. Um, because God has, God has good plans for us in this, and he wants what is best for us. Let, let me say this too, is that specifically in regards to um, the sin of sex, and again, I, I want to state again that there are a lot of sins out there, okay? All I'm trying to do is deal with what the text gives us this morning, which is what we do week by week here. We try to preach the text um, as it stands and think the thoughts that the authors were thinking and being inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, to write it. Um, 
But <laughs> one of the things that, uh, uh, that I think we've adopted, and again, we've been discipled by the world in regards to thinking about our sexuality, is we're told often, and I don't know if you guys have heard this or not, but we're told often about just how terrible this sin is and about how strong it is and about how addictive it is. And, um, and it is. I've already said, you know, yeah, the, the chemicals are being released, dopamine's being released, and we can get addicted to it and different things. But I think one of the things that happens in regard, because this is such a widespread cultural sin, and again, isn't it awesome that we don't have to try to make the Word of God relevant? This was written nearly 2,000 years ago. The Word of God is relevant, amen? Don't have to make it relevant. It is relevant. This will still preach today just like it did back in Thessalonica. Um, but that uh, um, God is, is working in our lives uh, to let us know that this is not the strongest thing in the world. See, here, here's how we, here's how I've heard, and if I can just be really honest, I've talked with a lot of guys, and some women as well, too. This is not just a guy thing, I want to be clear. But that are addicted to some sort of sexual sin. And we talk about it as if there's no one greater. We talk about it as if there's not a Jesus who came to set captives free. And it's just evidence that we've been discipled by the world. And we've thought the way the world thought. Yes, it's addictive. Yes, it's everywhere. Children's books and Disney movies and on television and on our phones and everywhere. And yes, it's constant. We're bombarded by it. It's not just a little trickle. It's, it's all over the place. But brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel and that we're going to get to here right here in this text is that there is one greater than sexual sin. His name is Jesus. He came to set people free from sexual sin and sin of every sort. He came and he shed his blood. And a little later today, you know, we're going to baptize folks here in a little bit, and we're going we're to plunge them underneath the water, and they're going to come up. And all that is is an outward picture of a spiritual reality that has happened already in their hearts. That they have been plunged beneath the cleansing flood of Calvary's blood, of Christ's blood. That whom the Son sets free is absolutely free indeed. And I want to give you two very specific reasons why you can have confidence, why you can have hope in this walk of holiness. And this, this applies to, um, to any sin that you might be battling, but again, in the context, specifically, sexual sin. Number one, first reason for hope in this battle of practical holiness. Number one, first of all, God calls us to this. God calls us to this. This is what he says, verse 7. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Again, back in verse 4. He calls us to holiness and to honor. If the most powerful being, if the ruler of the universe calls us to this, then we can have confidence that we can walk in freedom from it. Amen? Now hear me. Everybody immediately goes, yeah, but we're never going to be perfect. I know that. 
No one is arguing that we're going to be perfect in this life. But what we can do, that the Bible clearly says, is we can walk in freedom from sin. We have a new master. I am not talking about sinless perfection. Yes, we will stumble and fall. But I'm talking about not being in bondage. That we are able to live lives that are free from the bondage of sin. Why? Because we have a new master. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And if you don't believe that's true, you are not believing the word of God. I will take you to the mat on this. Not literally, but we'll, we'll arm wrestle or something. Like it, <clears throat> Jesus Christ came to set people free. He changes people's lives. That's what he does. Yeah, but I'm weak. Exactly. That's why he came to die for you. This is the gospel. That he came to set you free. And here, for Christians, we need to know that he calls us to this. One of the things that happened with all my boys, but especially now with my youngest one, Jordy, he's nine years old, is that, you know, uh, for, for whatever reason, maybe he is in his church clothes or something, or maybe he's, you know, uh, he's been batting, just needs to be disciplined a little bit. Like, one of the things that might happen is like, we will say, or Hannah might say to him, hey, Jordan, you, you don't go outside. Absolutely, you, you need to, don't go outside today, you just need to stay inside for a little while, go into your room, read, or do, do something like that. And maybe one of his brothers will say, Jordy, come outside. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, off, and, and, and off he goes. And inevitably, and again, it, it, might not, it might be a different specific or whatever, but, but inevitably we have this conversation and we go, Jordy, what? we told you not to go outside, right? Yeah. Why did you go outside? Well, Finn told me to. And here's our, why are you listening to him? You don't answer to him. We called you to stay inside. There's a greater voice in your life, folks, that you must heed. You owe nothing to the flesh. Nothing. When immorality of any sort, but yes, sex is the one on the table in this passage. When immorality is calling your name, calling you to live like who you once were, at that very same moment, your heavenly Father is also calling you to live like who you actually are. And that is, you say, well, who am I? You are holy in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul, the Corinthian church, man, they were messed up. And throughout the letter, Paul calls them saints, which means holy ones. Again, the difference between man-made religion and the gospel, man-made religion says, do this and then you'll be this. Christianity, the gospel says, you are this, now act this way. Massive difference is that I don't act, or I'm sorry, I don't, we don't tell Jordy not to do or to do certain things in order to make him our son. He's not earning sonship in our family. That's been a gift that he had really nothing to do with. He, he's not earning sonship, but he is living like our son. That's what we call him to. And that's what God calls us to again and again.
And let me just press here and get about as down on the ground as I possibly can. It is not lost on me that there might be some here even this morning who even as much as last night and maybe even walking in here this morning, you are carrying with you the weight of sexual sin and sexual dirtiness or sin of any sort. That is not lost on me. But what I pray that you would hear right now from the authority of the word of God is that you are not bound to that old slave master any longer. And that if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen. Amen. It is true. We're called to holiness and honor, but not only, here's another reason for hope, not only are we called to this, but he equips us for this. Look what he Look what he says here, and again, yes, it's solemn. Yes, there is warning in the tone here, but do not miss the good news of it. Verse 7, that God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. But don't miss this, who gives us his Holy Spirit. That part of salvation, it's not like you get saved and you get the Holy Spirit some other time. The thing that saves you, the thing that changes you, is that the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Paul says in Romans 8 9 that if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. To say it the other way is just simply, if you have the Spirit of Christ, you belong to Christ. Is that not only does God call us for this, but he does not leave us as orphans. He equips us for this. And the equipping that he gives here, it's not just, it's not just a precept or a principle. It's a person. The person of the Holy Spirit in your life, in the... Um, this is from a commentary I was reading this past week that was, again, just pushing the, the emphasis of this in speaking here uh, of the holiness, the way that it's kind of worded in the original language um, in that verse when he speaks of giving us his Holy Spirit. Uh, the word order is literally his spirit, the Holy One. So it, it, it reads literally, God who gives us his spirit, the Holy One, with an emphasis being on the holiness of the Spirit. But, but I'm not holy. I, I, I can't play the keyboard. I don't, I don't know how. Yeah, but there's one who does. There's one who lives in you if you are in Christ that wants to help you to live a holy life. And again, we have to look away from ourselves just like we started talking about. We look away from ourselves and we look towards him. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 6 that many of us maybe grew up with um, in Sunday school and such. I know this is one of my favorite stories. But it's the story of Elisha and his servant. The um, nation of Israel was really at war constantly off and on with the kingdom of Syria at that time. And Elisha, the prophet of God, he kept uh, telling the king of Israel when the Syrians were going to attack so that the, the, the Israelite army could, could move around. And so this, the, the king of Syria was getting very frustrated because he'd show up, he'd think they were here, and he'd go to get them, and they weren't there because the prophet Elisha kept telling him how to avoid that. And so one day, the king of Syria turns his focus off of trying to get the Israelite army, and he turns it on to getting Elisha, who's the real problem, because he keeps helping out the Israelite army. And you guys probably know this story, but he, he gathers all his troops, he finds out where Elisha is, and he surrounds them at night. And in morning, they wake up, and it's Elisha and his and his assistant, his servant. And they went out, and it says, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, 
Alas, and that's Hebrew for we are in big trouble. Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Elisha said to him, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the assistant or his servant is going, what are you talking about? We are absolutely alone and we are about to die. But then Elisha prays this prayer for his servant. And man, this is, it. This is always the prayer. Again and again and again. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed this prayer. It's the same prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 for the Ephesian church and for Christians everywhere. Here's the prayer that Elisha pr- prays, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened his servant's eyes. And he saw, and behold, yeah, there was the mountain, or the, I'm sorry, the, the army of the Assyrians, but he also looked, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and of chariots of fire. That there was a heavenly army around them, not just the army of the Assyrians. And I share this because in our battle against sin of any sort, but especially sexual sin, I'm convinced that one of the reasons we give into it is because in that moment when the old taskmaster, the old slave master, is giving us commands, all we can see is the evil army of the word, the flesh, and the devil surrounding us, and we are convinced that we are alone. And we are convinced that it is easier just to surrender and just to give in to his will than it is to stand. But brother and sister, we are never alone. Never alone. We have one greater than even this army that was with Elisha and his servant. Is we have the Holy Spirit not just outside of us, but inside of us. Helping us to overcome sin and to walk in the freedom that God desires for our life. Worship team, or actually, no, not worship team. You stay put. People getting baptized. Where are you at? Back. I see you. I see those hands. You guys can go. Go in the back, get ready, and we'll, and we'll wrap up here. Um, a couple things as, as we close. Number one, I, in some ways, I will admit that this is a unique message for a baptism service. Okay? But it's where we were at in our Bible reading plan, and we believe that all the Word of God is good and it's inspired, and I'm just trusting that it's what God had for every single one of you that are here today, including myself. I believe in his providence in that way wholeheartedly. A couple of things as we wrap up. Number one, in your pursuit of holiness, are you starting with you or are you starting with God? And as we've already talked, stop starting with you. Stop thinking you can do it because you can't. Look to God. Ask him, pray, that he would do a work in your heart to help you love those that are hard to love or just to love anybody in a way that is honoring and glorifying to him. Look away from yourself and look towards Christ. Secondly, if you are here this morning and this has been a little bit uncomfortable for you because you, you, you feel overwhelmed. And again, I'm not putting this label on you. I'm asking you, just in the privacy of your own heart right now, would you describe yourself this way? Would you say, Eric, I'm bound to sexual sin. 
I'm addicted to it. I'm bound, and I can't get set free. Brother, sister, there's only one place to look, and it's not yourself. And I promise you that trying harder will not fix it. I promise you. But there is a Savior whose name is Jesus. And while we were all sinners, sexual sinners, lying sinners, thieving sinners, whatever, greedy sinners, while we were still sinners, in other words, before we had nothing to offer, while we were still sinners, he died for you. And he can wash you. He can cleanse you. He absolutely stands. I'm convinced of this. You might not even believe it for yourself. I pray that you would. I pray that the Holy Spirit, even right now in this moment, would be at work in your heart to bring about faith that would cause you to just simply have your eyes open and lift them to Christ. But I want to say that I believe it for you. That if you will just look upon the Son and turn to Him, He offers you a new life in Christ. One where you can walk in freedom and in victory. This morning as I was thinking about this and I was driving here, I just, I had to Google these lyrics this morning. Again, I love music, I love songs, I love song lyrics. Um, That old song, Oh Victory in Jesus. You know that one? Yeah? Oh Victory in Jesus. My Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. Now all my love is due him. And he plunged me, as we're about to see here with water baptism, this is what he did with his shed blood and the baptism of the Spirit. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I do not care what you have done. This is why Jesus came. He came to save sinners. If you will just cast your gaze upon him this morning, right now in this moment, I promise you that new life awaits you. I might need to give them a little bit more time until they're ready. But could we just sing that chorus together? You're not going to leave me hanging up here with me? Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's see if they're behind the curtain, shall we? If not, we'll sing another song or something. Um, Okay, Matt's giving me the thumbs up. Open it up there.